sponsored by Longmont Public Library. I'm Claire, your host for this episode, and with me are Juno, Hi. Kate, Hello, and Stephanie, Hi. Staff from the Library Children's and Teens Department, Woo-hoo! to discuss our latest pick, Larkin Kasim Start a Revolution by Case and Calendar. Spoiler alert, today we'll be discussing the book in its entirety. So if you haven't finished reading it yet, you might want to come back to this episode when you've done so. Case and Calendar is a best-selling and award-winning author of multiple novels for children, teens, and adults, including the National Book Award-winning King and the Dragonflies and the best-selling novel Felix Ever After. Kaysen enjoys playing RPG, or role-playing games, video games, practicing their art and focusing on healing and growth in their free time. They currently reside in Los Angeles, California. Larkin Kasim, Starred Revolution, has earned high praise and starred reviews. Booklist said, quote, This is a strongly character-driven novel that will certainly make readers root for Lark Kasim and their community and chosen family. It might even make them want to start revolutions of their own. Let's move on to our first impressions and ratings. Juno, would you like to start us off? Yeah. I gave Larkin Kasim 4.5 stars. I really fell in love with the characters, the representation was top-notch, and it made me a little bit hopeful for the future. Nice, thank you. How about you, Kate? I gave it four out of five stars. I liked the characters, I liked the pace, and it really helped me like connect with teens reading it. It was a nice, fun book about teen relationships. Yeah. Stephanie? I also gave it four stars, and I echo Kate's comments about um, the book being an interesting look into Teen relationships, teen friendships, um, the things they think and worry about. I thought it was pretty cool. Nice. For me, I gave it a 3.8. <laughs> I really wanted to give it a 4 and a 5, but I've wanted to read Case and Calendar's work for a long time, and I think I came into it with like really high expectations, um, so it let me down a tiny bit. Um, I think it was more of the writing style for me. It took me until, like, about the last 100 pages to, like, really feel invested in the characters and get into it. Uh, Lark's internal optimism really grated on me. So that's why I gave it 3.8. I like your very specific star rating system. Yes, yes. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on then to our discussion about the book. I grouped our questions in a few different categories, and we're going to start talking about the plot. So... What would we say this book is about, and how would you describe this book to a reader? I can start. I thought this book was really about your teenage years being a growth period, like a period of uncertainty, but other also a period of time to find yourself, to find your friends, and to grow. And I was immediately connected to this book, so I feel like I had the opposite experience from you, Claire. Yeah. Um, but having a teen at home, I felt like I could immediately identify with this teen protagonist, and I felt like it was very authentic. And I thought it was super interesting. The first thing I did was ask, like, the first thing I thought about was like, yeah, social media, we'll get to this, I know. But like, it's about teens and how they interact with social media. And I think we like what helped me get through the book was remembering like, yeah, their experience with life is totally different. And clearly, this is a person that has been to therapy. And I appreciated that. Mm -hmm. And I thought like, wow, what what a cool thing to like, mesh what teens are looking and thinking about with like, the wisdom of being an adult that's gone to therapy and, like, taking this time as a teen to synthesize some of that and, like, know that it's okay to make mistakes and grow and, like, have that message repeated and repeated and repeated. Like, that didn't um, detract from the book at all for me. And I felt like it was really, like, there to support teens. 
are you saying it really comes across that the author went to therapy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I agree with what you what you have said. I I do really I see it almost as like a biography of Lark. You know, it's so focused. I think that the other characters do have development, but it's so focused on the inner mind of this one non-binary black teen and I I do feel like it really uh portrays that in an interesting way. I also I did like that it's also sort of a book about wanting to be a writer too. And I feel like there are a lot of teens that we see at the library and just in general that want to be a writer. Uh so it's a I think it's a book that I would recommend to teens that are into writing too. I think maybe Stephanie what you said made me reconsider some things cuz maybe it's like what I wish my teenagehood had been or like what I wish teens like I feel like it's a really hopeful book like I hope teens are feeling this way and talking about this way I just to me I'm just like oh is it that good can you have all those friends all on the same page and identity and all of that but are we hearing a 3.9 or a (laughs) 4 it might have swayed me a little bit higher yeah we'll come back we'll revisit I agree. I usually roll my eyes when the main character of a book is an author or aspiring author. Mm. But I didn't really get that feeling in this. Uh, and it feels like a really useful resource for young writers um, dealing with rejection and mm-hmm. what critiques to take and what critiques not to take, both in writing and in life. I also really like that the book was largely about how Lark recognized the mistakes they made and struggled to own up to them. I thought that was a huge, really important theme in the book, and I really enjoyed that part of it. It was, you know, one of those books where you're reading it, and you're like, come on, Lark, just stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Just admit the truth. Fix mm-hmm. it. And, mm-hmm. of course, they did. But, and we'll get to that more in depth later, but I thought that was a really um, interesting theme throughout the whole book, too. Um, now, Stephanie mentioned the social media. So other than the main plot point in the Twitter postings, um, that were posted on Lark's account. How does social media affect the plot of the book? And do we think that this is an accurate portrayal of how teens interact with social media? I thought, I mean, obviously, it sort of heightened everything. The Twitter posts and social media interaction. It, like, hyped up the romance drama, the cyberbullying, and also the character's involvement with with uh, social and racial justice. I was surprised that it was Twitter, though, and that that was the vehicle for their online activism. I don't know. I don't have a teen at home, but I've worked with teens for a long time, and I'm not aware of teens having Twitter accounts. I think that they uh, touched on that. There was some oh, reason, maybe some because reason. it was an aspiring writer. Like, they wanted to get public. They, they wanted to get published. Maybe. Yeah. That was a big part of it, was they were trying to amass... The platform. This certain number of followers, 50,000 followers, in the hopes that it would attract an agent. And I think, but it somehow it was specific to, t- like, it was most useful that it be, like, to their advantage that it was on Twitter. Okay. And they do they mention they were all TikTok. on Twitter. Yeah. Like, all, all of, the kids. And I guess, I mean, all the kids are in the writing class together, so maybe they all want to be published. But I just, that didn't feel authentic to me, that, like, everyone's on Twitter, and then there are adults bullying, mm-hmm. cy- like, the mm-hmm. cyber bullies were... The adults on Twitter. I think that's probably that's accurate. probably yeah. accurate. Yeah. Um, I think that. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you on the Twitter thing, but I think that they that teens interact with social media a, a lot. Like that yeah. part of it to me is totally believable, and the most believable part of it to me was that 
it was like the internet is forever and this is unfixable. Like that, mm. that felt like, I don't know that they got into it so explicitly, but I could really feel that intensely when Lark was considering mm. like mm-hmm. how to do this. And I, I appreciated that. But, and, and I like that, you know, that they brought it back around to like being fixable and like just delete mm. your account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Off of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really liked that. Mm-hmm. I also really picked up on the theme of like the internet is forever. Micah and Patch say that to Lark at the end of the book. And I was just thinking, you know, Lark has a lot of scrutiny with this big following and to have mistakes that you make when you're 16 or 17 potentially follow you forever was a scary thought. But overall, I thought Case and Calendar handled it pretty well and it was a lot more nuanced of a take than people usually treat teens in social media with. I feel like there's usually a lot of scaremongering. I also like that it wasn't like images or sexting. Like that was like interesting. It was all this like heavy thoughts. Yeah. All these words. I do wonder, I don't know. I think the timing maybe is unfortunate because I, of maybe when Case and Calendar wrote it versus now that Elon Musk owns Twitter. Because I feel like this group of teens would not want to support Twitter. Twitter now. Yeah. And I feel like. I wish Case and Calendar would go back and, like, add that into a revised version because it would be really interesting to hear them, like, how are we going to remove ourselves from Twitter? Like, should we do that? And still keep their following. Yeah. Because that was a huge part of it was, I mean, working with teens who want to do something in media, having that following and those numbers feel so important. I think it's easy as an adult to kind of dismiss it and say, you don't need these followers. You don't Mm -hmm. need this many likes. but. I had a student once who wanted to become a rapper, and so his followers and his likes on his videos on YouTube were just so important. It wasn't just like, who cares if people like your your video and post? And so I think Lark's feelings about that were super accurate, and I think how teens would deal with that, having to move platforms, um, which I'm sure they do. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a big – it's not just moving platforms. It, I think to them it feels like they're – shifting their future do you think there's anything do you have to i can't think sometimes i feel like in books you see like fake platforms mentioned do you have Mm. to get permission to use the name of a that's a good question because i do feel like more often than not you kind of see fake names for social media anyway i wonder if that was a consideration yeah they got permission from twitter but not instagram yeah 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 um and one last thing on the social media, I also really liked that it did portray, especially while they were in school, all of the things that happen on social outside of school and mm-hmm. how that affects mm-hmm. school lives. Because I think it's really different for adults, that dynamic where you're not coming into work the next day and thinking, oh, Stephanie posted this on Instagram <laughs> and Claire posted this and Juno liked this. Mm-hmm. And I think with teens, they have a really different... We don't do that? It, I do that. No. <laughs> well, we do that about you. That's what we're discussing in the morning. But, um, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting take on it, the way they showed that, because um, I think it's easy to forget how that plays into social lives. So our next question is about learning to own your mistakes. So how does Lark uh, learn to acknowledge and correct their mistakes in this book? And do the other characters own up to their mistakes that they make? And is there anyone who could have done a better job at admitting their mistakes? Yeah, I don't know. This It's interesting to me. This wasn't, like, my favorite question. It's not a bad question. I just don't what, – for what it's worth, whatever that means, I don't feel like answering it. I didn't, like, feel compelled to write and write and write. Um, That's fair. 
probably I don't I don't I don't want to be held accountable either. I don't know. <laughs> so I feel like Lark is called out a a lot by their friends and their frenemies. And it's repeated and repeated and repeated. It seems like it's a huge kind of theme. And they they eventually realize, I think, sort of, maybe it's a bit more about, like, intent versus impact. So their intentions are are different than how their, their words are landing, I think, for their friends. Particularly around when they... They talk a lot about love and love everyone. And honestly, that bothered me about them a little bit. They're like loving everyone. You and everyone else in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So I, but I do feel like they gave Lark, they gave them a a really extra hard time. But I think Kasim really also eventually by the end, he comes to this realization of, what he has done to Lark and not stood up for them. And I feel like Kasim really changes by the end more so than maybe any other character. I like a big part of the book for me was that Lark had to acknowledge their mistake and then kind of reset. And I think as a reader, that was what was so hard to me. It's like, you just want to shake them and say like, stop this. But I agree with you for sure that the other characters I felt, were super hard on Lark, mm-hmm. and in a way, were I don't think a lot of them really had to reckon with their own issues and their own involvement. Not necessarily in the Lark and Kasim Twitter posting situation, but just in other situations. I felt like a lot of the time they were trying to call Lark out on things, but then they weren't. Maybe they weren't backing it, or maybe they weren't really recognizing their own faults. Um, so that was kind of hard. Like, I felt there was some growth with, you know, Lark and Kasim, but I think a lot of their other friends at school could have mm-hmm. done a better job. I did actually really like how they resolved Lark and Micah's relationship. Um, I don't know. It felt very authentic and real to me that, you know, they're not going to go be friends and they realize that just because they have a mutual friend in common doesn't mean they have to get along, but they still both apologize to each other um, and kind of reconcile their differences. And that's an important part of growth, too, that kind of shift in perspective. Not Patch, though. No. Patch no. is still a jerk. And maybe that's real, too, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Some people will always be jerks. <laughs> I was... I was curious about Jamal, the character, and I felt like they weren't really fleshed out very well for me, and they were just sort of the character that was, like, not even going to do anything except be like, Lark, I can't deal with you. Yeah. And didn't even really express the how or why. But maybe that's authentic to teen relationships, but I wanted to know more about Jamal and why they were more triggered then it seemed like anyone else that they totally removed themselves from Lark. More so than even Patch and Micah. Yeah, I really liked that relationship. I think, like, Jamal had such a rigid set of principles, and um, they do kind of explain that just because of who their parents were. They have some issues with people who lie. Jamal's parents? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And... I really liked that, and I liked even at the end, 
I guess throughout the book, um, just apologizing isn't doesn't necessarily fix everything. Yeah, that's a good Because Jamal still doesn't really know where they stand mm-hmm. with Lark. Mm-hmm. And that's, it just remains kind of unresolved, yeah. right? Like, and I think that's fine because it wasn't school and they were like some of them in like peripheral circles. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. like yeah. how much energy are you going to invest in well, and maybe it's a sign of like what you said about the author maybe being someone who's had some therapy. It's a sign <laughs> of a teen with healthy boundaries, mm-hmm. which I don't think you really see a lot. I think when you're – it's hard – I think it's probably harder when you're younger to have healthy boundaries. I think that's something you learn as you grow. So to see a teen with those boundaries and really like setting the boundary and keeping it, um, it's not what we're used to, but mm-hmm. it's a yeah. good thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the point, right? You don't – not everyone's going to like you. You apologized. Yeah. And right, you can't fix everything. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like Lark that's Lark's goal eventually is to be like, not everyone has to love me. All right, are we ready to talk about COVID? Sure. (laughs) So, this book I mean, what was the influence of the COVID 19 pandemic on the story? Like, was it accurate and did it feel relatable and natural, or did it feel like they were just shoving in references to masking and COVID to make it seem contemporary? Oh, it felt totally natural to me. Felt like really reflective of what was happening at that time, and like the whole reference to the was it like um, is it red shirts? Was it red shirts? The red, like red coats. March, maybe red, red something March. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Oh, big red, mm-hmm. big red. That totally reminded me of like the George Floyd protests in Boulder, mm-hmm. and people were masked and not masked. Like it was very like it felt really reflective of like what we went through in a real way. I agree. I thought there could have been more. I felt like it was a little bit maybe as an aside. And maybe that's what I feel like the right what I wanted a little bit more from the writing maybe yeah. was I felt like there I did think it was authentic, but I also think there could have been a little bit more. It didn't it? talk too much about yeah. like the impact of COVID on like your mental health. Yeah. Not really. A little bit. A little bit. Mhm. And maybe that wasn't. Yeah. Maybe that's a whole other book. Mm-hmm. It's early yeah. on, though, yeah. still, and when you think about when it. they wrote it. Yeah. I really, what really hit me was coming from a background like teaching high school and teaching teens that are a little bit younger than these characters. I related a lot to kind of how they were reintegrating at school mm-hmm. and redeveloping social mm-hmm. relationships and kind of finding their way again. Mm-hmm. Um no, I don't think the author like was super explicit with it, but mm-hmm. I kind of like that it was just a little bit more natural and nuanced mm-hmm. and maybe one of those things where if you knew about what was going on and if you knew what it was like, you would understand it a little bit more than maybe mm-hmm. someone reading it in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So with the pandemic, like what? how do we want authors and creators to illustrate the pandemic in their work? Like, one of the things that I really liked about this book was the more nuanced approach and a little bit with, like, the social-emotional health. And I don't really care about, like, TV shows or books talking about putting on a mask and taking Mm. off a mask off and doing it for show. But, I mean, what do you all think about how we see the pandemic portrayed in media? I agree with you. There's a song. um, I think it's interesting when people talk about the social-emotional impact of the of COVID on them. And so there's another song. Um, there's a song called Stick Season by Noah Khan. He talks about being sad and being advised to travel, but there's COVID on the planes. So, like, I don't know. I like, I don't like remembering <laughs> what it was like, <laughs> but I do, but I do think it's important to, like, 
sort of memorialize that in t- you know period of time period moment of time. Yeah, I was just reading an article about this in the New York Times of like how we're not collectively talking about our experiences that we've all been through at various levels of trauma depending on who and how we dealt with the pandemic and I I kind of I think I'm ready for more but it does still feel very fresh obviously I think we're we're still in the pandemic but I think there needs to be more of a collective sort of conversation around it like I feel like because it created so many animosities between people that people are like, oh, let's just forget about it. Like, I think it's going to be, I'm worried it's going to be another, like, erased thing of, like, we're, again, not going to learn from (laughs) our very recent past. And I think it's, I'm a processor and a feeler, and I want to process and feel it. I want to see that in media and literature so that I can process it in a safe way rather than talking to people that are maybe going to be aggressive about it or that kind of thing. But I, I think it really, maybe in a few years, but I feel like it really needs to happen. Otherwise, we're never going to, like, heal. It's just going to be with us forever, like this heavy, heavy burden. I think I'm disappointed that that doesn't seem to be the trajectory that we're on to actually, like, take a moment and really realize, wait, this happened and it was traumatic. I agree. I think... Um, I really liked how Case and Calendar handled it in the novel. And I also think that the portrayals I've seen of it in media, it's really difficult because things have been shifting so quickly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can underestimate how long it takes to get something out. And so, you know, we've talked in this, some of the pandemic things and s- things seem like a little outdated mm-hmm. already, even mm-hmm. though it was probably only written a year and a half ago, two years ago. So going back to social media a little bit, what about cyberbullying? How common is cyberbullying in teenagers' lives, and how does cyberbullying impact this story? Or do we not have anything to add because we talked about it on social media? I don't know. I think it, that was a really accurate portrayal and that it's quite common. Uh, I, I think I mentioned this earlier about I was surprised. Well, maybe not surprised, but it was interesting just to note that a lot of the trolls of Lark were adults. Mm -hmm. And I feel like adults troll teens all the time, whether it's in real life or on social media, and that really bugs me. So that was what I left with from the cyberbullying. More so, it seemed like Patch and... Micah? Micah bullied in real time, in real life. I didn't see, I don't remember seeing any of Lark's, any of their classmates... They like did. Side, they did. Yeah, oh, did. yeah. Patch, they did. Okay. And they kind of leveraged that to, you know, get more people against Lark. Oh, okay. Yeah, to push for the cancel Lark movement. They put that up on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. And they were just like, if you could see how toxic Lark is in real life, you know, none of you would be following them. I must have missed what their handle was or something. Did they have a fake troll account? One yeah. of them. Oh, they did. Oh, was I did it? Not, was I think one of them account? had it a was fake. That one one yeah. of the fake troll accounts was I don't one of the say classmates. It on I podcast. totally okay. missed that. I totally missed that. Was it? It was just clear? one very invested troll, and yeah. I didn't yeah. realize that it oh. was a troll account. I didn't realize it was connected to one of them because they had their names on. Yeah. Other accounts. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. Thanks. Yeah. Um, missed I re- it. I really like to, like, you were just saying with adults and how they interact with 
teens, both in real life and on social media. Uh, NK, the person, like, half of her tweets were like, we should examine why mm, kids mm-hmm, need to find, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, what they're looking for on social media. And then, like, very rapidly she was like, why aren't you responding like a mature adult to these accusations? Yeah, um, I'm sure that was intention. Like, yeah, that was meant to. Yeah, it was just a real f- quick yeah. flip. <laughs> All right, and our last question just about the plot is, does this story feel like an accurate portrayal of teen relationships, both friendships and romantic relationships? I, wrote, I hope so. Really? <laughs> That's I hope what they I said. Yeah. yeah. I wrote one very, my, it was like probably, and also. You don't want to know? <laughs> oh, my gosh, I have so much to say about this one, too. <laughs> oh, so you have a teen at home, so you don't want to think too you much about it? Too deeply. Probably. You have to to ab- approaching the age range. You, you don't want to think about teen romantic relationships. What about teen friendships? Yeah. I felt like for me, um, like especially with some of the more mature conversations, like Stephanie was saying, the I've been to therapy relationships. Um, I don't know how authentic they were. I hope... Teens are having those honest conversations. Um, but I don't think fiction is always about authenticity. I think part of it is about representing authentic personal relationships, but part of it is the author saying, what if it was this way yeah. instead? Mm-hmm. That's what I, like, I thought that was a really important theme. Like, in the book, it's like, these are all the ways you can be in the world. And it mm, it can look all these different ways. Yeah, I you know, I'm a 36-year-old, so I can't really say. But I guess just I really, really hope that it's there is some grains of truth in how this is. But as a former teen, <laughs> the relationships <laughs> in the books seem very sophisticated compared to my youth. And I think it's interesting. So for me as a queer person, seeing... The experiences of queer youth in real life today and also in literature and how vastly different it was for me in the early aughts. And it gives me so much hope. I try not to be too super jealous, but it gives me like I'm just very excited by it. And I think it does accurately portray how queer youth try to seek out each other um, and how brave they really are for being out and within their queer community, and just expressing themselves and their identities and not really being scared. And I find it really inspiring and hopeful. And I I have seen that in real life with queer youth, too. And I feel like that's a huge shift, even just from, like, 10 years ago. And so I think that is great that that is portrayed like that. I really liked that the teens... They also had a lot deeper conversations, and maybe they weren't completely authentic, but based on what I've seen with teens lately, they're a lot deeper than the kinds of conversations mm-hmm. I was having mm-hmm. at that age. And they're less afraid of confrontation, and they're less afraid of like calling people out. I feel like when I think back to the conflicts I had with my friends at that age, they were totally mm-hmm. different and not resolved. And... I never would, I don't think I ever in my life would have felt like, oh, it's okay if I don't like this person and we don't get along. We can just agree to disagree and move on. And I I really liked that because I do think that that is a little bit more true now. I do see that more in teen relationships, even though, you know, it's, you don't want to get too in the weeds with teens' relationships and friendships, but it is, it does feel a little bit more true, just the depth of their relationships and their willingness 
to talk about things and kind of have that those challenges. Yeah, I really wanted to share, like, this was evidence of, I think, kind of along what Stephanie was saying, too, of like, oh, this author has a great therapist. <laughs> uh, and also, I hope that teens say this to each other, but there's a quote um, where Sable and Lark are having a hard conversation about whether they want to be in a relationship or not. And Lark is like, sorry, I made things awkward. And Sable says, no. I like awkward. I like uncomfortable. That's where the hard conversations happen. That's where we're forced to be honest with ourselves and each other. That's when we start to learn and grow together. And I just loved that. I'm like, I want to take that into my life as advice for that. And it really just solidifies how wonderful awkwardness and hard conversations are. Yeah. And how that's essential. Well, and I think that quote and that idea also reminds me just a lot of, like, 2020 and going back mm-hmm. to the pandemic and everything that's gone on socially since then and the Black Lives Matter protests and a lot of the, um, like, anti-racism and conversations around that. I think people are starting to realize you have to have the awkward conversations. You have to have that uncomfortableness to really grow and learn. And mm-hmm. I think... If this book had been written 10 years ago, I don't think that sentiment would have been there. Mm. But I think now in modern times, like I think people are starting to accept like awkward and difficult is good. So let's talk about our main character, Lark, and uh, specifically their voice. Does their voice seem authentic for a teen or do they sound more like an adult portraying a teen and acting like a teen? I have big feelings about this question. Tell us. <laughs> and I think, um, I think that... This is part of what the book was about. You know, Lark talks about looking at Goodreads reviews and how after looking at Goodreads reviews of YA books, they swore to always make their main character perfect because people didn't like flawed (laughs) Mm -hmm. characters. And then in the rejection letters that they get, some of them say Bertie feels too mature. Some of them say that Bertie feels too immature. Some of them say that Bertie's all over the place. So I think... um, what I got out of that was that there's no one way to be a teen. Um, mm. And so, yeah, for me, Lark fit into that broad, broader, authentic teen category. And can we jump in since you mentioned Birdie? Can you tell us who Birdie is? or And do we think Birdie plays an important role in the story? Yes. Uh, Birdie is um, Lark's kind of part-time imaginary friend, partially character that they created uh, in the novel that they're writing, inquiring or half writing um birdie takes flight and they talk to them throughout the novel because they're like an imagined ally yeah 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 and sort of their conscience yeah like they're was in greek plays they have the chorus yeah because birdie is an important part of lark's voice birdie's created by Mm -hmm. lark Mm -hmm. i mean so that kind of goes along with this question Mm -hmm. yeah Um, yes sir go ahead I liked what Juno said about there's no one way to be a teen. That's kind of what I tried to take away because I did find myself uh, being critical of Lark's voice and being like, oh, too optimistic, too idealistic. And I think you know, teens can be that way. Sometimes it's just it's just like, oh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's no one universal teen experience, so it's kind of hard to judge authenticity or not. Uh particularly as an adult now, but... Yeah, I think a big part of it is that we're all adults, right? And my big... The big thing I learned was that teens have so much access. Like, 
haven't been able to solidify this one thought, but like they have so much access on social media and on the internet that like they're the way they think about if they're interested in mental health, if they're interested in like like the access they have to information is infinite, right? So mm-hmm. I think that the way so even if it's influenced by the author, like the way a teen might talk or think about it, their voice is going to sound really different if they're interested in writing or if they're interested, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. then we might expect a teen to based on our own experience. And so mm-hmm. um, I just I just thought that was really interesting. Like, I, I do think it portrays a teen, just a teen in 2023, yeah. right? Or 2021 or whatever. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was – I just thought it was really interesting that there was a lot there um, to consider. When I think with that um, – and I know we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but sometimes I did feel like Lark was a little whiny, but then I find that in other books with teen characters. And so it's one of those things that you don't have to like every main character, though I did like Lark. I judged some of their decisions, but I liked them. <laughs> yeah. That's a normal part of reading. But I think um, you have to kind of look at it through that lens where I'm not reading a book about me or what mm-hmm. I wrote, mm-hmm. or all of my inner thoughts, I, you know, you have to really open your mind up to the possibility that, sure, this could be a real teen. I don't know all the teens. I can't mm-hmm. possibly mm-hmm. be an expert on that subject. I don't think anybody can be. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of let it go. And with Lark's writing, this book, one of the big themes throughout the book is on their writing and the teenage voice. And it seems like they really are criticizing the teenage voice, or at least the Publishers are and really asking readers and characters whether teenagers have enough to say when they write stories. Can a teenager write a good story? I find teens more interesting than adults, so yes. <laughs> For whether me, it's well written or not, I mean, like write good writing. Or yeah, whatever, good but writing. I, but I, yeah, quote. Those are air quotes. Air quotes. You air can't, quotes. Can't yeah. see. But yes, I mean, teens are unburdened often in a way that adults. I feel like Mr. S made the point really clearly at the end of the book, which he asked everybody if they should change their writing for others, and they all said no. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's nice to see teens write, and they probably do have less, they have doubts about themselves, but in a really different way and maybe less solidified than Mm -hmm. the doubts that adults have. So I think it's nice to, like, read and hear their voice when it's less um, inhibited and less Mm -hmm. molded to what they think people want to see. I have that in my notes later about, like, the molding, right? Like, we're all um, conditioned in this, like, patriarchal um, capitalist, right? Like, they maybe have less of that. Like, I think it's hard for us to... I mean, maybe a little less, but, like, I feel like it's hard for us to, yeah, we're burdened. Mm-hmm. We're burdened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I'm like, oh, Lark. Huh. They haven't become enough burdened yet. Yeah. That's what you're worried. You want to give worried. them your burdens. I'm worried that they're not ready for more burdens. They have a lot of burdens already, though, I guess, in a way. So this story has a lot of representation, including queer, neurodivergent, BIPOC, trans, non-binary characters. What feels authentic about the representation in the story, and how is this representation helpful and important to readers? I think it feels quite authentic as queer teens are kind of seeking each other out. I was interested, particularly when their home lives are hard, it seems like Kasim obviously had a difficult home situation. Lark seemed to have a great home situation. Jamal maybe not... And then parents maybe or caretakers didn't really come into play for a lot of the other characters. But um, I was interested in 
Do you think this class, the writing class that they were in, was a specific, like, this class is for trans, queer, BIPOC teens? Because it seemed like every single person, at least character that was focused on in the class, was under the queer umbrella in some way. I thought about that, but I thought, I was like, does it? It doesn't matter. Like, somehow they found each other. My experience has been that some types of, it could have been the description, Some in mm. some types of classes... People does, will just it's not like explicit. Yeah, like, they'll yeah. just gravitate that way. Or, I mean, I don't know. I see. Yeah, I think so, or certain places like mm-hmm. the library or mm-hmm. like yeah, certain children will just experiment there and find each other. But like, I thought it was super. I just found it was super authentic because I've noticed like a layering of identities, a fluidity yes. of identities, and I just felt like it didn't detract from the book in any way that there were so many identities included. I feel like mm-hmm. that's likely that's authentic to people's personal experience right now Mm -hmm. and i liked it that's okay i agree i and like echoing what claire said earlier i had to stretch a little bit because when i was growing up there weren't as many out queer trans um students but as an adult uh i definitely have a friend group and support network that if one of the literary agents in the book saw would say it was unrealistic Mm-hmm. I laughed out loud mm-hmm. when the, the one agent said they didn't know any non-binary people. Yeah. I was like, okay. okay. And I appreciated that it, it did touch a bit on race and racism, too. Yeah. Um, and, Stephanie, like you said, the red, mm-hmm. like, white supremacists moving in or, or marching in. Yeah. And it is there in Philadelphia, right? Oh, yeah. So I that lived would be represented. On Baltimore Avenue. Right? Yeah. 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 I was very excited about that. That's From the moment cool. it referenced Pico, like on the second page, I was like, oh. What's, P- what's Pico? The, uh, it's like the energy company. It's like. It's oh, a, yeah. oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. But yeah, the, and the dog bowl is Clark, Clark Park. Ah, so you really. Yeah. You could really go there. That's cool. It was very exciting. And, and they referenced Ross Gay. I just thought the whole thing was oh, great. Oh, yes. I forgot that. <laughs> That was near the beginning of the book. I was like, oh, my gosh, teens know Ross Gay. <laughs> they do now. I know. That just blows my mind. Yeah. It's pretty cool. One thing that I thought was cool about the representation, just the different identities, I think it also rang true to teen self-awareness now compared yeah. to teen self-awareness when we were all younger. And I think – Again, you have to put yourself in that mindset when you're an adult reading the YA books where I think some people are like, there's no way this happens. Teens don't talk about this. When I was a kid, (laughs) you have to really take your own perspective out and really enter their world and realize, yeah, things are different now and people are having these conversations and people are – people who've always identified this way and didn't have a word for it now have the words for it and now have the ways to talk about it and now – are finding their support groups and finding, you know, their people and their community. So I think, I mean, when I read it, it's like, I really, I want that to be real for these teens. Like, I want them to live in that world. Mm -hmm. And I thought he did a good job of addressing generational trauma and how that touches, like, a whole community. I thought Mm -hmm. that was good. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think it's important to call out that Casey Calendar is non-binary queer black person so is writing from their own experience so it's to question authenticity i think is kind of problematic totally with yeah whether it's the publishers or in the book or even Mm -hmm. the reviewers that i know some of us have seen online people questioning it i truly feel that the people questioning it 
likely don't belong to any of these groups, right. therefore have no way to call the authenticity into question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which goes by, back to how important it is to have books like this with the representation written by an author who belongs to those groups and who can actually write from a really authentic place. Yeah, I thought it was great. And Lark also talks about um, how they want to see themselves reflected in text. And I thought, like, just to mm-hmm. what you just said, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought it touched a lot of different important topics mm-hmm. in a sensitive way. And I felt like it was, yeah, I mean, I have no questions about the authenticity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that the teens in this book focus on a lot is social consciousness. They do a lot of calling out, a lot of talk about, like, cancellation, toxicity, and just their awareness of social issues going on. Are teens more socially conscious now than adults are? And um, is this portrayal of their ideals, like, current and authentic? Yeah, I think so. Just because, like, I feel like this didn't really come, I mean, for me, it didn't come into my awareness and as, until I was an adult, right? Like, you know, you get, like, having a general, like, liberal, like, you know, philosophy or whatever as a teen, all you're getting is, like, slavery and Black History Month. So you don't have a big frame <laughs> yeah. for yeah. social awareness. Mm-hmm. And... And I think this gets talked about, you know, this is obviously like a theme in the book. You spend so much of your time, like, I mean, this isn't true for everybody, but where I grew up, so much time was spent, like, assimilating. Like, there's no time for social consciousness. There's just time for, like, survival. And so, like, I feel like it's just, it was super interesting to me. Like, they're in a different place. They've grown up. I know teens now have just social justice has been a part of whatever sort of environment you're growing up in, right? Like it's in, it's framed one way or another, but like it's part of your consciousness and it's been that way for a long time, a big chunk of your life. And I just, I don't know, that's really interesting to me. Like it's a whole different landscape, I think, mm-hmm. for teens. It really, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it just really goes back to how we can't compare how things were when we were teens yeah. to how things are now. Yeah. And I know it's such a stereotypical thing to do because I'm sure our parents did it. And then when you become an adult, you have to remember, I can't do that. It's different. Like, yeah. it's times change. But this book was like a big eye like just Oh, like a, totally. Yeah. I was pretty politically active as a teen, but I wouldn't have, like, had the words to describe it as, like, social or racial justice. And I do think, Stephanie, to what you're saying, like, now there is sort of that consciousness in that word. And I also think to a certain extent teens are in an even more dire place yeah, than sure. before. Yeah. Like, I feel like now they actually, you don't have a choice. Like, particularly teens that are not white, not straight, not cis, all of that towards, like, being socially and racially conscious and active and justice-oriented is essential to your own survival. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's actually part of their survival. Yeah. <laughs> like they're not necessarily even like choosing, I want to be this social justice advocate and all of this stuff. It's like actually they have to be in order to like have their existence continue, unfortunate. Like it's just that that direness. Yeah. It really came through to me of, yeah, whether it's the environment, <laughs> you know, I think everything's yeah. coming to a head for everyone, and, and teens are realizing how terrible of a place that we've left for them. Sorry. <laughs> Crumbles! <laughs> dun, dun, dun. But at least they live in a <laughs> But there's some hopeful. Lark yeah, is hopeful. I was going to say, at least okay. they live, you know, there's books like Lark and Cassine yeah, Start a Revolution. Yeah, it's getting better. <laughs> yeah, so some adults like Case and Calendar don't suck. 
Or the librarians at Longmont Public Library. Yeah. So our final question is, would you recommend this book to a reader, and who would you recommend this book to and why? I already have. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) To a 16-year-old. I'm very excited (laughs) to hear their opinions. I recommended it as well to teens, um, a group of queer teens, uh, and I'm excited to see what they think. They were especially excited that there's some, like, polyamorous representation, which we didn't oh, talk about. Yeah, well, we didn't get into the thruple. I got, yeah, I was excited. Yeah. I was, I forgot until you mentioned it. Yeah. I didn't write any questions about the thruple. <laughs> oh, scrap it all. Back next week. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> that could be a very long conversation. Someone else will have to write the questions next time. I would say, yeah, I would, you know, I would definitely recommend it to most teens that are interested in character-driven stories, realistic fiction, you know, teens that are aspiring writers or writers, particularly queer teens, teens of color, anyone. I think it would be a hard sell for teens that are more interested in, like, high fantasy or, like, sci-fi, that kind of thing, because it is very... To me, it's very solidly in the realm of contemporary realistic fiction. Mm-hmm. So genre-wise, I sometimes think of that like, oh, you could have a queer black teen that does not want to read realistic fiction yeah. either. Yeah. So, but Lark, so, Lark themselves is like a total sci-fi yeah, nerd and yeah. anime nerd. And yeah. It's true. And if they have any writing, it would be the aspiring writer angle, I think. That maybe, maybe you could get yeah. someone. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of crossover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So can I add my, like, final thought? Yes. Just, like, as a as a black woman, I didn't feel, like, I just loved it. And I didn't feel, I didn't see myself directly, my experience directly in Lark. But I just, like, we talked about this so much. But I love um, the author's way of showing, like, different ways to be in the world and, like, the possibilities and the hopefulness. I thought it was so great. Yes. I would definitely recommend this book. I agree. Um, obviously, being trans is difficult right now in the U.S. Um, and so for me as a trans person, I thought I would recommend it to people who are feeling pessimistic about the future because mm. it made me feel a little hopeful. Mm, yeah. It was a little ray of sunshine and a little ray of hope. I think uh, it's one, it's a book that I would recommend, too, in – like many of you said, it'd be a great book to recommend to teens, like queer youth or youth of color. But also, as a white woman who was once a white teen, I love, I have always loved stories about diverse characters and different viewpoints. That's always been something that's really drawn me to reading. So I think it's also important um, to remember, like, oh, I don't have to save this book for queer mm-hmm. teens mm-hmm. or for teens mm-hmm. of color. You know, a white cis teen who doesn't present as any, like, would also love this book. Mm-hmm. I loved mm-hmm. it. And I think um, and I think it's a really good window into other worlds, which is one of the things that we want when we're reading, mm-hmm. I hope. At least one of the things that I want. So I would yeah. definitely um, mm-hmm. really, you know, open the door because it is, I think like Claire said, it's just a good piece of contemporary fiction that cut- touches on a lot of different things. And there's a lot of different aspects of it that I think can appeal to a lot of different people. Um, one former representation we didn't talk about really in any substantial way was like it's a really good view of urban life um, mm-hmm. that is neither like fraught or dangerous. You know, like mm-hmm. they are out at night in the park, right? And they're mm-hmm. just like living their city life, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And we didn't touch on the neurodivergent identities a whole lot, oh, but I appreciated that because mm-hmm. yeah. 
that's always hard to find. And again, that's something that I really look for. And I think it's hard to find because I think it's less obvious to a reader when they're looking for a book that it's going to have that in there. So I think that's always something to kind of keep, keep in the back of your mind, mind yeah. too. Yeah, I would echo everyone's comments and me too as, as, a, as a white woman. I think it's almost more important that white people read this book. <laughs> um, yeah. Because it definitely gave me more insight uh, into different experiences. Those those mirrors that you were talking about, Kate, are so important. And and city life, too. You know, being, living in Boulder County and not a super diverse place, I feel like it's even more important to to really elevate these stories. I think it's super interesting that we didn't talk about... Neurodiversity. <laughs> yeah, which, now uh, reflecting yeah, on it, was like a huge... Yeah, of yeah, Lark's identity, yeah. but it so wasn't. Much to talk about I book. guess it was one of those things that felt so natural to me while I was reading it, yeah. and I guess the whole questioning, maybe because it's like they're not like hitting you over the head with it, but I think that the author does that with a lot of the identities. They're not, yeah, you it's know, not tokenized or or yeah. All right, good job, everybody. Nice job, yay. yay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, thank you, Juno, Kate, and Stephanie, for a lively and thoughtful discussion of Lark and Kasim's Star Revolution. With switching gears for our next episode, we're reading Did You Did You Hear Mammy Died, a memoir by Seamus O'Reilly. Seamus O'Reilly's mother died when he was five, leaving him, his ten brothers and sisters, and their beloved father in their sprawling bungalow in rural Derry, Ireland. It was the 1990s, the troubles were a background rumble, but Seamus was more preoccupied with dinosaurs, Star Wars, and the actual location of heaven than the political climate. An instant bestseller in Ireland, Did You Hear Mammy Died, is a book about a family of loud, argumentative, musical, sarcastic, grief-stricken siblings shepherded into adulthood by a man whose foibles and reticence were matched only by his love for his children and his determination that they would flourish. Did You Hear Mammy Died is available in regular and large print formats from the Longmont Library, as well as ebook and e-audio formats from the Front Range Downloadable Library. So choose your favorite format, read or listen to the book, and join the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. See our podcast notes for details on how to share your comments and questions with us. And thanks for listening to Book Chatter, the book club for busy people.